Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. There is a new popular entertainment experience that has emerged in the last number of years. It is a live first-person interactive game where participants are locked in a room and tried to get out. There's jail for that, but apparently we, we want to do other things to, to have that experience. But they have to discover hidden items, solve challenging puzzles, and unlock surprising secrets to win their freedom. You typically have about 60 minutes and uh, you work together, and it's known as the escape room. If you have never heard of this or been to one, let me assure you that it does exist, and it is different than jail. But let me, let me see a show of hands today of those who have experienced an escape room. Raise your hand. All right, so see, it does exist. And uh, a lot of young people have tried it. And uh, I've never done it, but uh, I'm afraid I'll never come out, so at this point, I'm not planning to do it. This morning, I would like to speak on the subject, Escape the Room. Let me put on my Captain Obvious hat today. God does not want us to be bound by anything in this world. That's why... Jesus would say, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. God wants us to be free. God wants us to live a life free from the clutches and grips of sin. Throughout Scripture, we read how God made a way of escape. Let's go to Sunday school for just a second. Noah escaped from the catastrophic flood on the ark. God made a way for Noah. God made a way for the children of Israel to come out from under the horrors of oppression in Egypt through the Red Sea. God made a way of escape. It was Joseph who was in the depths of a horrible, filthy prison, and God made a way of escape. It was David who was in the clutches of a ruthless leader, and God made a way of escape for David. It was the three Hebrew boys who were thrown into the fiery pit, but God said, I've got a way of escape for you. It was Daniel in the lion's den and surrounded by those beasts of an animal, and God made a way of escape. It was Jonah in the jaws and the clutches of the jaws of a giant fish, and God made a way of escape. Are you thankful that God still makes a way of escape? See, God's story interacting with humanity is a story of a God who wants humanity to be set free from the grasp of the dominion of sin. He wants us to be free. So when Jesus came to earth, he stayed focused on his role in the great escape of humanity. 
And Jesus, it tells us in Luke chapter 4, he came to this city called Nazareth where he had been brought up. And it was the custom that he would walk into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And there they stood up to read. And he, Jesus, was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the recovering of sight to to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What was the acceptable year of the Lord? It was the day of jubilee. It was the day when all the prisoners were set free. He closed the book. He sat down and he he gave the book back to the attendant. He sat down and everybody just kind of looked at him. He read that a little bit differently than everybody else had read that scripture. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I haven't come to leave you where you're at. I haven't come to leave you in your prison, to leave you in your bondage, to leave you in your addiction, to leave you in your brokenheartedness. I've come to set the captive free. Oh, hallelujah. So why was Jesus so determined on making a way of escape for humanity? Because he understood that his job wasn't finished when he, Jesus, ascended into heaven. He would send his spirit to us today to help us to be set free from the power of sin. When he ascended, he said, I'm going to ascend. Why? So I can send the promise of my father upon you. And he would send his spirit upon those gathered in the upper room. He wanted to complete the work on the earth, but he wasn't going to do it in the flesh. He was going to ask his followers. He was going to ask the people he called the church to do his work, the final work on the earth. And he was going to send his spirit. The word church in the Bible literally means a gathering of citizens who have been called out from their homes into some public place or an assembly. If you're a part of the church today, you've been called out. You're not supposed to be like you were when you were serving sin. You aren't supposed to be what you were when sin had its clutches on. But you're meant to be set free. You're meant to be called out. And Jesus said, I'm going to give my spirit to you so you can live a free life. And if you haven't been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and been filled with his spirit, let me encourage you today to allow God's power to work in your life. I love what Bishop Pasley II always said, and that was that Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could say, I'm sorry. Jesus Christ died on the cross so you could be set free, so you could be absolutely transformed by the power of God. Oh, hallelujah. And so, here is the reality. Today, God needs his called out ones. 
the church to be powerful and not passive. God needs a church that is actually working in the world. God needs a church that is passionate. God needs a church that is strong. See, we find ourselves sometimes captive. And so we have to ask three questions. We're going to find out if we're captive. If you want to know if you're captive today, if you're bound today, my first question for you is, are you working for the Lord? When you leave this building today, are you working for the Lord? The second question I'll ask you today, are you passionate about the things of God? The third question I'll ask you is, are you strong in the Lord? If not, if you couldn't ask, answer yes to these three questions, if not, then why? I would propose three reasons why we might not be working for the Lord why we might not be passionate for the Lord or we might not be strong in the Lord. First, I would say it's because we tend to be lawless. What are you you talking about? I obey the laws, or most of them. The Bible talks about lawlessness. And it's not just referring to the laws of men, but it refers to the surrender of our life to the laws of God. See, 1 John 3, 4 tells us, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You will not work for the Lord If you struggle with living above sin, if you struggle living in a way that honors God and you struggle putting God first in your life, whether it's your time, it's your lifestyle, it's your finances, you are in a precarious situation. But I appeal to you today, you need to get it right with God. That's why Jesus would say in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Sounds like a good church person to me. But then he said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those who live by their own thinking, those who live by their own set of rules, those who live by their own set of values are lawless. Those who live by their own set of morality and morals are lawless. Thank you, Pastor Henson for reminding us of the reality of hell last week. Absolutely powerful. If you were not able to be here, you need to listen to that message. It was a heart-stirring message, a reality check. Lawlessness is not just a problem for you. 
but it's a problem for those around you. It's a problem because when we are lawless, when we live by our own set of values, when we live by our own set of morals and decide what is right and wrong for ourselves, when we do this, when we are what the Bible says is selfish, when we're proud, when we're consumed with ourselves, it's impossible to love others. And Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Let me boil it down for you and I. Sin is simply selfishness. Selfishness is lawlessness. Lawlessness is idleness. Idleness is idolatry. Idolatry is hatred. That's why Jesus would say, no one can serve two masters. Either he will dislike the other. No, it says hate the one and love the other. Or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. He says either you're going to be a law to yourself and hate the things of God or you're going to allow God's law to be the preeminent way in which you live and hate sin. And sometimes we find ourselves in a prison in our sin. And I want to admonish you today. Make it right with God. Make it right with God. Get it right with God. Don't let another day go by without surrendering every aspect of your life to the things of God. Start doing what you know to do and see if God doesn't make the difference. I'm not sure what fear you have of obeying God's word. But there is a room full of people here today who has stepped out and surrendered 100% to the word of God and found that they can walk on water. Some of you would say, not sure how it's possible that I can live the way I'm living and feel as fulfilled as I feel. But you're doing it. Because you've surrendered to the will and power of God in your life. Some of you would say, not sure how I find the time in the week, but coming to church on Sundays and Wednesdays faithfully somehow still allows me to accomplish everything in life that I need to accomplish. You're walking on water. Some of you would say, not sure how it works, but giving my tithe, 10% and offerings, I still have enough left over to put a roof over my head, clothes on my back, and food on the table, and more. You're walking on water. Some of you would say, not sure how, but I found freedom from addiction by trusting the Lord and saying no to my flesh. I'm not sure how, but I'm walking on water. Some of you would say, 
I, I, I thought I would be lonely with no friends if I started serving and obeying the word of God. But not only do I find friends, but I, I found a family that feels closer than my own family. It's like walking on water. And I want to tell somebody today, you can't escape the room. You can't escape the clutches of sin. You can't escape the bondage that only sin offers. The second reason we find ourselves in captivity is we lose passion. There are circumstances in our life in which we find ourselves not bound by sin, but we simply lack the passion we used to have. We find ourselves out of spiritual breath. Ever walk long enough? Exercise long enough where you ran out of breath? And just going through the motions of church and our spiritual existence where it's like we're out of spiritual breath. We can't really say it was some circumstance in our life. We, we just don't have the zeal or fire that we used to have. Maybe you have let doubt walk in the door. Maybe you have let fear set down at the kitchen table. Maybe you've made God a ritual rather than a relationship. That's why Paul would tell Timothy, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And I want to encourage someone here today that you can be renewed in the Lord. Therefore, the scripture says, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. We have the opportunity to be renewed day by day. I encourage you to pick up a Bible and start reading it. Look into the, the book of Psalms and start reading how God thinks of you. In your house, start to learn or if you've never done it before, begin to worship the Lord with your hands lifted, with nobody around, and be renewed in the Spirit. Talk to Him. Start journaling. I think Sister Reed might have mentioned this to us. Journal things you're thankful for. Be renewed day by day. Because it's so easy for passion to wane. So easy to find ourselves being held captive in a room where nothing is really happening in our life, and it's simply because we lack passion to do it. Third reason we can find ourselves in a prison is because we are simply weak. There are circumstances that we go through that cause us tremendous pain. We lose people that we love. We experience sickness and disease. We suffer rejection by someone we thought loved us. And it weakens us. It shatters us. It breaks us. It hurts us. We find ourselves physically weak. We find ourselves emotionally weak. And anxiety comes. And depression comes. These may seem like Buzzwords in an oversensitive culture, but they're real words and they're real worlds for some of you in this room. 
But here's what I am assured of in Scripture. God's desire is not for you to live there. You might be camped there. But don't buy the land, build the house, and put a mailbox out front. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. I feel the Lord in this place. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. God wants you to escape the room. God said to Paul, who seemingly couldn't escape the room of his own weakness, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, God's strength, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let me help somebody today. God wants to be your strength. God wants to be your strength. This church, the Calvary Church, is built on the premise that we don't want anybody walking alone. We want to help people grow in their relationship to God and live out his purpose. The key is we want to help people. Our life groups are available to help you in your weakness. God is raising up great people in this church with burdens and passions to help people who are struggling with addiction, with depression, with anxiety and pain. And I would add that our pastoral team is available to, to pray for you and to provide counsel for you to help you find the, the thing that you need to overcome the weakness in your life. You can escape the room. I know you may feel like the walls are closing in, but I want to tell somebody today, you can make it. I'm reminded today when I preach this of that classic psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God promises you can't escape the room. And I have preached this message today based on one passage of Scripture. One. On Paul's second missionary journey, he was imprisoned in Philippi. And then miraculously, he was freed from jail, only to be kicked out of the city. 
Then he came to Thessalonica, the prosperous capital of the province of Macedonia. And after three weekends of prosperous ministry, in Acts 17, it tells us he had to flee because of an angry mob in Thessalonica. He moved on to a city called Berea. And again, he enjoyed several weeks of ministry. But soon, he was driven out by the same Thessalonican mob. His next stop was Athens, where he preached a good sermon, but had mixed results. By the time he came to Corinth, he was in, as he described in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. At this point of the second missionary journey, it seemed that Paul was a very discouraged missionary. And while in Corinth, it is likely that Paul was greatly concerned about the churches that he had founded. He wondered about their state, how they were doing. And so while at Corinth, Silas and Timothy came to him from Thessalonica with great news. The church there was doing great. In spite of what was happening, the church there was strong. And Paul became excited. So excited that he dashed off a a letter to the Thessalonians. And most likely, this was his first letter to any church. And he wrote it just a few months after he had first established this church in Thessalonica. And it is within the context of this that we find Paul concluding his letter to this young Thessalonican church with some bits of wisdom for his group of believers. And so he says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, the unruly, the lawless. Encourage the faint-hearted, those who have lost their passion and breath of God. Help the weak and be patient with them all. Admonish the idols, the idle, the lawless. Encourage the passionless. Help the weak and the struggling. Why would he write that? Because he thought that they could escape the room. That it's still possible, no matter what you think of your story or what you've been through, that you can escape the clutches of sin. You can escape that clutch that is sometimes hard to to put in words, that passionlessness. And you can escape the room of weakness. But Paul adds one little caveat, one little postscript to this threefold instruction to the church. Be patient with them all. Paul would realize The real power of change in people's lives would come from a position of patience. Paul used the same word and idea of patience when he told the church in Corinth, love suffers long. Love suffers long. 
And here is what I want some of you to understand today. That God doesn't ask of us something he himself isn't willing to do. If God asks us to be patient with others, we must believe that God will be patient with us. Well, preacher, aren't you concerned that somebody might not feel the importance of getting right with God now if you preach on the patience of God or the long-sufferingness of God? No, I'm not. Maybe I should be. But really, if we're honest, it is only by God's willingness to be patient with any of us that we are saved today. God is patient with us. When we've walked away from him for periods, we've gotten distracted by things in life. When we've been so weak and frail that we couldn't even utter a word, there stood a God who was patient and long-suffering and said, you can still make it. Oh, hallelujah. You know what the definition of long-suffering is? To suffer long. Wow. That's deep. To be patient. And I ask this question today in all sincerity. What would our lives and homes be like if we learned to suffer long? What would our marriages be like if we learned to be more patient, Kristen? I mean, patient. (laughs) My bad. What would our relationships be like if we waited just a little longer before we jumped the gun and went off? How many road, road rage incidents could have been averted Somebody just suffered a little bit longer. I know I'm in everybody's business right now. Trust me, I feel it. (laughs) Emma and Audrey, close your ears. What would our experience with our children be like if we took one more breath before we corrected a situation? doesn't apply to our house, but it applies to yours. (laughs) You know why I don't like to exercise? Mr. Henson, I'm going to confess something to you. I don't like pain. (laughs) That's it. Only reason. I can't suffer long. I start my sit-ups going. And all of a sudden, the pain. I'm like, well, that's it. We're done. (laughs) Planking, I can plank. Feel the pain, I'm out. Got to go. Squats, burpees. Marcus, you're here. You tried to kill me several years ago. (laughs) I'd work out. I'd go over to Marcus's house, and we'd early in the morning, and I said, Marcus, just just help me work out. You tell me what to do. He, He nearly killed me trying to do these burpees, sitting up, standing up, whatever. Finally, I, I, I don't know how I got out of it, but I got out of it. 
I didn't even tell him I was quitting. We just kind of, my, my schedule got in the way. Because <laughs> I do a lot at 5.30 in the morning. I love to run. Matt, I love to run. Until it's painful. Biking, did the 100-mile rides with Mr. Henson, the McGahays, different ones. But the pain, as soon as I feel the pain, I'm out. And that's exactly what we do with people in our life. We have no tolerance for their selfishness. Although we tolerate our own, we have no tolerance for their lack of passion. We have no tolerance for their weakness. We want people to tolerate us, but we don't extend long-suffering to people. And some of you are willing to suffer long with physical workouts, and that's commendable and partly insane. (laughs) But I wonder how our lives might change if we suffered long with people that we love. Because just as the long-suffering of God helps us escape the rooms brought on by selfishness and wandering and weakness, all of us, all of us have the ability to help someone escape the room. And Paul gave us the method. Admonish the lawless. Anthony, that word in the King James, you, I think, referenced it last week. You warn, you admonish, and you warn, you challenge. You you seek to help people understand what's going on around them, so you admonish them. You encourage. You encourage the faint-hearted. You lift them up when there's a lack of passion. You try to provide an opportunity for passion to be reborn. And all of us, believe it or not, have the ability to encourage the faint-hearted. As we have the opportunity to help the weak. Pull them up. Help them. Get involved in their life when they're going through something. All of us have the ability, it says, to help people help the weak. But he says this happens in the context of what? Patience. Patience. Long-suffering. That just as we have received the long-suffering of God, we extend that to others. There are those in this room who have experienced the long-sufferingness of God. Think of Anthony Mitchell today. Walked away from God years, if not decades. But he found a God who was long-suffering. A God who wasn't done with him. Tammy Lane sits here today who faced divorce but was able to escape the room of despair by the grace of God. Bruce Kidwell sits here today at one point in his life imprisoned but able to escape the room literally 
and find purpose in his life. It was Diana Reed, widowed at 30-some years of age, but able to escape the room and find the power of healing in her life. Pastor Kristen and Kate Sizemore faced the death of their beloved father, but they have been able to escape the room and have found the grace of God that enables them to continue ministry to this day. I don't know if Al Razor is here. Brother Al Razor is here today. Faced the horrors of the Korean War, still has the bullet in his foot, but has been able to escape the room to find contentment in his life. A Purple Heart recipient. Bill Gardner's in this room today. Bill Gardner faced the horrors of Vietnam War. He was hit with shrapnel in his arm and back, but has been able to escape the room and find the confidence in God who can pick up the pieces. I talked to Pete Cole Morgan this morning. He's traveling today, but he faced the horrors of the Iraq war. But yet, uh, in spite of the struggles that ha- that has brought on in his life, uh, he has found the confidence in God who can pick up the pieces. And you know what he told me today? He said, the reason I made it was because there were other people around me that were giving me space and grace. People were supporting me. People were long-suffering with me when I was struggling. Mickey Gardner, talked to her this morning, was captured by the grip of drug and alcohol addiction. But we know she has been able to escape the room to find redemption and freedom and the power of God to love others in an amazing way. So as I conclude today, it's towards the end of the horrible World War II that Russia successfully pushed back the German army from the West, which most of Europe was reeling from. And so Russia came, the Allies came from the East, and Russia, in their quest to free the countries who had been overthrown by the Nazi army, the Russian army committed unspeakable acts of violence, rape, and torture against the German people as they were freed from these countries, as these countries were freed by the Russians. They retaliated against the German people. This is not talked about much as it pertains to World War II, but it was, in fact, a reality. Innocent German civilians and other Eastern European civilians lost their homes, their properties, and were placed in deplorable refugee camps, many housed in what had been former Nazi concentration camps. Everything they had in life was taken. And this was the reality of my great-grandparents and my grandparents on my mother's side. And I was reminded of this reality this past week as I stepped foot onto Ellis Island in New York City. The island's not named after our family, just in case you're wondering. But this is where my grandparents 
landed in America for the first time. My mother's parents and her grandparents. Pictured here is the passenger list that shows my grandfather, John Buzaki, 24 years old. My grandmother, Madeline Buzaki, 19 years old. And my Aunt Maggie, six months. They had journeyed on the E.L. Haas ship for nine days, leaving Riemerhaven, Germany, on Monday, September 26, 1949, and arrived on a 65-degree day at the beginning of October of 1949, I believe October 5th, stepping out onto Ellis Island in New York. Almost 70 years to the day that I would step foot on Ellis Island. And there they stepped off the boat, having escaped the ruin and loss. They had literally escaped the room. And my grandma, she's still alive. She talks about it and she weeps. Talks about her family. She talks about her friends who didn't make it. She talks about the horrors of what it was like to march all night with nothing but the clothes on her back. Everything left behind. At one point, they were in what would be a refugee concentration-style camp, and they escaped only to be caught and put back in. And who knows the horrors that they faced. But finally they escaped the room. It's a very practical, very personal illustration for me. And I realize in a very practical way today. A lot of my material blessing. A lot of the things that I'm able to enjoy today. Are because my grandmother my grandfather decided to escape the room. And what I understand about the power of God and our spiritual lives is if you're willing to escape the room, it doesn't just affect you, it affects generations to come. And it's worth it. Some of you have lost friends because you started serving the Lord. You've lost people in your life Family members have distanced themselves from you because you escaped the room. They would rather you drink and smoke and be addicted to everything in your life than to live for God. But you decided to escape the room. And I'm telling you today, it's going to have generational impact. And if God made a way for Moses and Joseph and David and Daniel... God can make a way for you. God made a way for Diana and Kristen and Anthony and Mickey and Bruce and Tammy. God can make a way of escape for you. You can stand with me this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation he will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This morning, I am believing that God 
is going to provide a way of escape for some of you. And so I urge you, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. If you're weighted down by sin today, you can find freedom. Have no doubt about it today. If you've lost your passion for the things of God, God can restore you. And if you feel weak by circumstances in your life, today God can lift the yoke that is around you. I want to pray for you before I'm going to invite you to the altar today. I want to pray for you. I wonder if you would surrender to the Lordship of Christ today and say, God, I need to escape the room. I need to escape the clutches of this life that has me boxed in. God, I pray right now for the sound of my voice. God, I'm praying. I'm praying, God, that you would give somebody the confidence to believe you for the miraculous today. God, you would allow them the confidence, Lord, to trust you with every detail of their life. God, if somebody is in the clutches of sin, somebody is in the clutches of selfishness, they might not even call it sin or think of it as sin, but if they're living according to their own way, I pray, God, you would help them see the power of the freedom that you offer in complete surrender. God, I pray for those who lack passion. Lord, I'm praying that you would allow them to surrender to your grace, Lord, today. To be stirred in their spirits. To not accept, Lord, this, this sense of doing nothing for the kingdom of God. But, Lord, let them be renewed in their passion. And, God, I pray for the weak in this room. I pray for the hurting those who are physically sick, those who are emotionally scarred. I'm praying, oh God, that you would help them. You would help the church to help them, Lord. God, and we know that you're patient with us. We know, God, you love us. You care for us. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, Thanks for listening.